welcome to the First Lutheran Church located at 512 South Kale Avenue in Miles City with pastoral services provided by Pastor Steve Rice. The Holy Gospel according to Luke, the second chapter. Luke writes, The child Jesus grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it. But supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. The Gospel of the Lord. Please be seated. Um, interesting lessons uh, this morning, all three. Uh, certainly beginning with the, uh, uh, the request of Solomon uh, for a great, for not greatness, but for an understanding mind. Uh, Solomon asked of God, and God was uh, favored by that, uh, that request. Uh, remarkable given Solomon's parentage. David and Bathsheba, their relationship beginning uh, in a most ungodly manner. Uh, but uh, through the uh, providence of God, uh, the wisdom of Solomon given. And then in Ephesians, Paul thinking uh, not in the detail and the intimacy the way he wrote to the Romans uh, with very specific kind of instruction but thinking uh, as he does in Colossians, Ephesians and Colossians on a cosmic scale observes that uh, he chose us 
He chose us. Um, important words to a world that likes to think we choose him. We choose him. He chose us. But the gospel lesson is where we're going to spend our time together this morning. In words, the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom. And the favor of God was upon him. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in years and in divine and human favor. Again, tomorrow is the Feast of the Epiphany. At one time in the early church, Epiphany was actually observed with greater uh, celebration than Christmas itself. And Epiphany ushers in that season of the church year that will lead us to Lent and through that penitential time to Easter and spring. And we are an Easter people. But uh, the perspective this morning on the gospel lesson is this. One tantalizing possibility of today's gospel reading is that we are actually hearing from an aged Mary in the words that Luke writes. Jesus' mother, this lesson sounds to me rather like Jesus' mother reminiscing from her old age about her son. And I can tell you that as Noel and I grow old, we find ourselves doing a lot of that, reminiscing, humoring our grandchildren with stories about their father and usually meriting eye rolls from our adult children as we do it. The man we know simply as Luke provides history's only insight into Jesus' early life. Insights that bridge Jesus' birth and infancy through his preteen adventure in Jerusalem, the text of today, and then followed by years of silence to reemerge during that three-year period of his ministry, death and resurrection, and then in the companion volume to the Gospel of Luke, Luke who wrote Acts, also takes us then into the early life of the church. Clearly Luke had interest in this broad swath of time from Jesus' conception through the early years of the church. A most unusual, unique perspective on history, if you will, provided by Luke, the man we simply know by his first name. He provides history's only insight into Jesus' early life. Insight that uh, bridge his infancy, as I say, and takes us into through all of these events that we are so familiar with into the life of the early church. Now, in the preface, in the opening verses to the gospel that bears his name, Luke describes himself, self-describes, not as eyewitness to the events that he is going to write about, but rather as an investigative reporter, if you will, uh, on the life of Christ, and it points. Luke serves also as a narrator, providing uh, um, information about the events he has investigated. And so back to, and again, one tantalizing possibility as to the source of the information in today's reading is that the origin might have been Mary herself. Notice the phrase, Your father and I. 
first person. And if Mary was the source, she would have been, of course, quite old by this point, you know, 80 years old. We know that Mary remained an abiding presence throughout Jesus' life. She who pondered so many things, treasuring them in her heart, words that appear first at his birth and reemerge now today, she was present when Jesus was crucified. Imagine a mother's anguish at seeing that. We know that from the cross, it was John, Jesus charged with the care of Mary. Jesus commended his mother to John's care, placing her at the heart of the church, therefore, as it was being formed. In his gospel, John would write of that Friday, when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved, beside her, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. And then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her, Mary, into his own home. All this being so, Mary might well have been uh, accessible to Luke as he prepared to write the gospel that bears his name. Jesus' words in the fourth gospel are also suggestive of something else. That Joseph, who had so faithfully protected Mary and Jesus through his youth, was no longer in the picture, likely no longer alive. However, Joseph, the man of dreams, as I like to describe him, I imagine Joseph to have been, huh? He would have been an active presence in Jesus' life during the preteen years, including the years of this episode in the life of Jesus. But sadly, beyond this, we hear not again of Joseph. Now, a careful reading of today's lesson also permits one to garner that Jesus was physically healthy and strong, possessed of a sharp mind, and more than mildly inclined towards the things of God. Strong, wise, and favored were the three words Luke chose. Further evidence of Jesus' personality, I think, can be deduced by his, uh, his behavior as a 12-year-old. Whether willfully or not, after experiencing the Passover and the great temple in Jerusalem, Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem as the family caravan departed Jerusalem. Now, Luke leads us to believe that Jesus was not alarmed or panicked the way his family was by remaining in Jerusalem. And again, notice that Luke used the phrase, the boy Jesus stayed behind, not the phrase, the boy Jesus was left behind, giving us some insight, I think, into his, uh, his character. It appears that upon realizing that the family caravan had departed, Jesus used the time until their inevitable return as a rare opportunity extended time to explore the vast temple complex. It was enormous, the temple blocks and blocks in size. But also, 
Jesus used that time to interact with the learned rabbis of Jerusalem. Something he couldn't do in the little town of Nazareth. For Jerusalem was where the great minds were. And also something he couldn't have done during the pressing schedule and the agenda of Passover. Busy, busy. Who had time for a 12-year-old? But afterwards, Jesus found that they were willing to engage him as he asked questions and were fascinated by him as he demonstrated an uncommon understanding into the faith of Abraham. Jesus was suddenly front and center when he was finally located by frantic parents after their days-long search. And in the face of Mary's admonishment, Jesus expresses surprise that they had to look anywhere else other than where he was in the temple, his father's house, as he describes it. And those are in themselves rather peculiar words, cryptic, if you will, because the Jews simply didn't speak in that kind of intimacy of he whose name they did not even say, the Lord. They referred to the Lord, but not my father. Now, these words in early Luke, as we read them, one might want to ask, why would Luke incorporate this early life information about Jesus into his text? The other gospel writers didn't. Why did Luke's gospel emerge more expansive and informative than Mark's gospel, for example, which I'm convinced Luke had before him as he wrote his own gospel? How might Luke's gospel have informed the early church as it sought to discern and then articulate, explain to the world not only that it believed in Jesus, but to go on and boldly say what it believed about Jesus. And those articulations would come to inform the great symbols of the church that we know and have preserved for us forever as the three great creeds of the church. The Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, and the Athanasian Creed. In the Annunciation, to Mary of Jesus' conception. Luke wanted us to understand that the Lord of the church was true God. Hail, O favored one, the Lord is with thee. You shall conceive and bear a son. The power of the Most High will overshadow you, and he will be called Holy, the Son of God. Since Mary would conceive by the Holy Spirit, the child would be, of course, divine. Conversely, Jesus' life activities, including such accounts as we've just read today, provide insight into a very human Jesus. Thus, the church was able to deduce, then proclaim Jesus as being, in the words of our creed, true God and true man. When these were brought together, The Lord of the church was declared true God and true man, and that declaration remains ours to this day. And in this sacred tension, Jesus' two natures, the church has for some 2,000 years uh, hailed Jesus as Lord. 
protecting that proclamation against heresies coming from the left and heresies coming from the right among the church's sacred obligations. In the creeds, the church speaks. In the creed, the church says to individuals what is believed. Credo, I believe. Join us. That being said, it is nevertheless okay to ask questions, even tough questions of God. In part, questioning seems to have been precisely what Jesus was doing there in the temple. But now as then, the faith is prescribed by that which has been given. Everyone is not entitled to their own truth about God, even though God's truth is expressed in many and various ways. Now, collectively, the movement that came to be called the Reformation in the 16th century asked questions, even as it continued to faithfully express itself as part of the one holy Catholic and apostolic church. There was no desire on the part of the reformers to redefine, but only to reform the church around Christianity's core tenets, scriptures, and creeds. The process of asking and answering questions about God goes on to this day. Do you not ask questions of God? Many are not aware that during the Dark Ages, it was the church alone that preserved Western civilization's collective wisdom. I suggest that in the 21st century, we have the privilege of living in another and new kind of dark age. Ironically, today's darkness is put forth as self-created light, a remaking of God in human image, if you will. In reality, such light is no light at all. Rather, today's self-described luminaries are mere reflections of frailties that we recognize as old as Adam and Eve in the garden or those who built the Tower of Babel in their efforts to storm heaven's gates, each thinking themselves more highly than they ought, to paraphrase Paul. You know, here my mind goes to medicine. How often, if we look into history, have science's certainties, medicine's medical certainties of the day, become tomorrow's foolishness. And yet, how important it is that medical science and learning and research go on. It is the church's responsibility to hold first things first, while allowing and even encouraging thoughts that may well take us deeper into the mysteries of our lives and of our God. Doing so without compromising divine truth and without denying the gift of knowledge and curiosity. For knowledge and curiosity, these attributes were given the human race from the dawn of creation. Mystery drew Moses to turn aside in order to try to understand the bush that burned but was not consumed. And so it is into this second decade now of the 21st century. Let us employ gifts of the mind and discernment. 
Let us recognize the unfathomable wisdom that surrounds us and remain in awe of the one in whose image we were created. Let us be rather like Jesus in the temple, found asking questions to the delight and advancement not only of ourselves and those around us, but to the benefit of creation and to those who will follow in our stead as the generations rise and pass away before he who was, who is, and is to come, even Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed this production of the First Lutheran Church. We welcome you to visit us in person at 512 Kale Avenue. You can also find us on Facebook at First Lutheran Church, Miles City, Montana, and email us at flc at midrivers.com.